Hello, true believers. Just a reminder that if you enjoy what we're doing here at Cinema Excelsior, you can pledge to support us at patreon.com slash stoutbot. That's patreon.com slash s-t-o-u-t-b-o-t. Enjoy. You know what the first uh, the first film that Stan Lee had a cameo in was? The first Marvel movie? Um, the first that he had a cameo in? Yeah. No, go on. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Of course it was. There we go. Was he, was he a so, juror? Well, perhaps. I don't know. I don't remember. But perhaps was he a juror? The juror. The juror. Jackie Jork Jump. <laughs> Jork Jump. Sorry. Jackie Jork Jump. Jork Jump. Jork Jump, yeah. Get your shit together, man. My bad. You can't even say these nonsense words. I remember we were we were up late pulling an all-nighter, and by that, I mean not doing any work and just talking about things. And that came – we started watching 30 Rock, I think, and that came up, and I I laughed to the point where I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds accurate. That's how I remember those, uh, those uh, all-nighters going. Do you remember when uh, we were looking at Watchmen, and I got frightened that Alan Moore could – was – talking to us right in that room at that moment and threw the book across the room? No, no, I don't. I was breaking down uh, Dan What's-His-Face's essay on owls, and he talks about how it's possible to, in studying the the anatomical makeup of an owl, lose sight of the majesty of the bird itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that Alan Moore was in some fashion talking to people who dissect literary works or anything, and how it's possible in looking at the minutia to lose sight of what the thing is itself. And I got frightened that he could see me. <laughs> so you threw yeah, away Watchmen and never read anything well, I threw it across my bed. For fear that he would reach out from inside the book and pull <laughs> you into it. Out of curiosity, have you read Voice of the Fire, his first novel? No. Yeah. Because the last, the last chapter describes... Uh, process very similar to what you just described. Of course it does. Of course it does. We're doing a very good job not talking about Punisher Warzone, by the way. What's that? I've never heard of this work. I'm not familiar with his work. Well, oh, you're not familiar yeah. with uh, if we, Punisher if we Warzone? Punisher Warzone, but lose sight of the beauty of Punisher Warzone. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, you're not familiar with the famous kidneys and applesauce speech from Punisher Warzone <laughs> Act 2, Scene 4? Oh my god. Or the beautiful Punisher sticks a pencil up his nose to fix his broken nose. Uh, yeah. Which makes way more noise than any amount of bones inside of the noise would make. Yeah. Yes. It uh, sounded like he was relocating, you know, his femur or something. Krispy Kreme, motherfuckers! So, for those of you just joining us, uh, this is Cinema Excelsior. Uh, I'm McGinty, and this is my Urban Free Flow Gang. No. No. No, why would you do this to us? <laughs> so we're all going to suffer through this. Uh, I'm Stephen Claypool, here with Daniel Watson-Jones. Hello. I'm Nick Bester. It's part of our urban... Hi there, offices! God. And we're... Is my attempt at judgments is actually... Explain to me what urban free flow is, because I'm picturing some kind of step-up like dancing, and or it's- a rap battle. It's the parkour that uh, uh, it's parkour. the gang, that the Black Irish gang oh, okay. does in this film. Okay, and Fair not enough. Black Irish in the way Kyle MacLachlan is Black Irish. 
Is that his nickname? The Black Irish Kyle McLaughlin? No, but I mean, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, Black Irish is a... Uh, yeah, it's just like a, dark uh, hair. ethnic Yeah. I distinctly remember looking up Black Irish on Wikipedia and mm-hmm. Kyle McLaughlin being given as the example. Mm-hmm. Oh. So I've always known what Black Irish means because of good old Kyle McLaughlin. Uh, he's, uh, God he bless is, you, sir. He is the representative of, of many things in life. And, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, an actor, he's a mayor. Um, probably runs a coffee shop mayor? somewhere. He he's is an on FBI Fort agent. He's an FBI agent. He loves. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think he meant in real life, life, like the way that uh, the way that Clint Eastwood had the mayor of Carmelo, yeah, California. Mayor of Carmelo. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin was the mayor of I don't know Modesto. <laughs> he's an actor who stormed out of the premiere of his film. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a satire. <laughs> I thought I thought he thought it was an art he film. Thought it was an art film. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. I got the, I got his uh, his line wrong. It's a satire. And he was great on the last season. Of, and he was great on the last season of uh, Agents of Shield. Yeah, he he is. I'm. Uh, I think oh, I, just I have not the... watched the second half of season two yet. I, I'm only yeah. at like episode twelve or thirteen yet. No spoilers. Uh, well, I I haven't watched after the Agent Carter break, so it's more than half the season. But after the, uh, yeah. the uh, yeah. Agent Carter was so good, I can't wait for that to come back. Again, we're doing a real good job not talking about Punisher Warzone. <laughs> I, right, again, what is Punisher Warzone? I'm not. I'm not familiar with his work. Yeah, <laughs> not familiar with. I'm gonna keep work. using that joke. Keep, keep going. That, um, that old tired format. So we're. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, we're talking about Punisher Warzone. So my Warzone. name is Daniel Watson Jones, and I will be playing this voice that you hear. One of these voices that you hear, if you can distinguish us, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> if you're ear bomb. God, I hope they can distinguish us. Yeah. What do we all sound of Crow Man, the tiny crow who has somehow snuck into your earbuds? No one else can hear me. Well, thank you why, for joining us. Why, why did we just pause for so long right there, guys? That was kind of an awkward silence for all the listeners. Yeah, yeah. We someone really should have filled that. Yeah, I don't know why no one did. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So we're talking about Punisher Warzone today. Um, in terms of kind of background for this film, this is the third Punisher film that we've watched and uh, the third fresh start of a Punisher series that never went anywhere. Although this, this one didn't begin as a fresh start, did it? Uh, it, didn't was begin in, as a sequel? it was intended to be a sequel to the Thomas Jane Punisher film, but after Tom Jane left production because he wasn't comfortable with the direction the film was going in, it was retooled into a reboot. Um. Yeah, I think the best, best writer. Uh, go ahead. I sorry. Mean, at some point, I wonder when things are reboots and when things are just you know the same character. Yeah. Because I mean, I feel like some of these some some of these things are very clearly like we're starting from square uh from square one all over again. Mm-hmm. This one's just kind of like you know you know who the Punisher is. He's doing things a couple years later. Yeah, he looks different. I would call this more of a spiritual sequel, I guess, because it's it's clearly not meant to be. In, I mean, there's no origin for him in it other than flashbacks, but uh, no, it's it's also not a direct sequel. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, so yeah, I guess and kind of. I mean, I just way. feel like reboot sometimes gets like overly thrown around. I mean, yeah. certainly you have something like Batman Begins, which is clearly wiping the slate clean. This is not really wiping the slate clean in that kind of way. It's just you know. We're just fucking doing another Punisher movie, and, you know, if you've seen that other one, fine. It doesn't really matter. Kind of like The Incredible Hulk. 
Yeah. Which again, I don't think is necessarily a reboot. I think it's. Oh, I don't I think, think it is. I think it's meant as a sequel. Yeah, I think it's possible to square that with the uh, with the Ang Lee one as oh. much as you may not want to. That's right. I mean, we I think we talked about this that it wasn't meant to be a sequel. That they had filmed a bunch of stuff at the beginning and then cut the. Anyway, if yeah. you've been listening to this podcast, we don't need you, to continue you know. talking about yeah. the Incredible Hulk. See, the Incredible Hulk. Hopefully you've been listening better than we have. Yeah. <laughs> Best Dear listeners. It hasn't been a month for them since they heard the previous episode. Bester, you did a, a nice job on Twitter kind of summarizing really all of the trivia that could be said about this film, which is to say that it was a film where almost every actor in it had to be offered their part at least twice before they accepted it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after watching these movies, I usually go on to the IMDb trivia. And, you know, some IMDb trivia is interesting. A lot of it's pretty asinine. But this one has an unusually high number of, you know, uh, Dominic West didn't want to do this movie. And then the director talked to him about it. And after her pitch, she was like, all right, I'll do it. And this happened for literally everybody. Uh, and so there's a long list of people who had to be talked into a couple times to be in the movie and then also all that stuff with like Thomas Jane the original director walking away from the movie so clearly a lot of people walked away or wanted to walk away from this movie and then were talked out of it actually I don't know if Kurt Sutter was supposed to be the primary writer but he had written an entire script that they were going to use but then uh, decided not to use and reverted to a, another version of the script, which is uh, the one, I guess, that they ended up using, and Kurt Sutter asked to have his name removed from it. So I don't know how involved he was that even needed to have his name removed, but uh, um, himself, I mean, which I assume would have been much better. Yes. Well, probably, obviously, um, uh, contractual obligations to name people like that is always a little complicated. Probably... Probably it wouldn't really, he would have had his name on it because it was an earlier draft, mm-hmm. but probably yeah. it was the kind of situation where he would have gotten credit but wasn't really involved in it. Or, yeah. you know, they combined some aspects of his draft into the draft that they actually used. So speaking of credits, Who knows? This, this, is, this is actually notable, and I feel bad that it's for this film. Uh, I, this is the first film we've watched, and I believe the only Marvel film to date to be directed by a woman. Mm. Yes, Lexi. This Alexander, is true. Uh, former kickboxer and stunt woman, director of one episode of Arrow, guest star on one episode of Boy Meets World. Yeah, I, uh, an illustrious okay. career, uh, right there. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, dude, do, she do, also do did uh, for a minute. Green Street Hooligans, I think, was. Uh, what was her other movie, mm-hmm. which I've never seen? What did you say? Green Street Hooligans. I think oh yeah, yes. Which I I can't remember. No, I saw the Battle of Shore Heights, which for some reason I confused with Green Street Hooligans. Um, regardless, uh, yeah, I've heard it's good. She wrote it and directed that. Uh, uh, there are. Let's see, Ray Stevenson obviously plays the Punisher, and he will go on to have a second role in the Marvel Universe. As Volstagg. Uh, he is in... Sadly, yeah, sadly not Ray Winstone. <laughs> Ray Winstone would have been a fantastic <laughs> Punisher. I know. I went into this movie not knowing who the fuck Ray Stevenson was, but apparently I've been living my life thinking that Ray Stevenson and Ray Winstone were the same person. So I started the movie like, 
doesn't look like Ray Winstone. I'm like, oh, Ray Stevenson. Who the fuck is Ray Stevenson? Uh, but the entire time, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out and say it right now, I didn't hate this movie. Um, I'm getting the impression I might be kind of alone on that, but uh, I think we can all agree this movie would have been amazing with Ray Winstone. Oh yes, yes, I, I would have bought into every aspect of this movie more with Ray Winstone, and that's not to say. That's not to say anything really bad about Ray Stevenson. I like Ray Stevenson in, like, Rome. I think Ray Stevenson's finest. Yeah, he, he, he I'm, does, does. I'm looking up Ray Winstone, and I realize that I recognize him from a lot of things, but yeah. I had he no conception. in Beowulf. He was in The Departed. The computer animated was, Beowulf? Uh, yeah, yes. he was in uh, Quadrophenia. He was in, like, a bunch of stuff. Never seen that. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly recognize him, Quadra- but I, I had... Quadrophenia no is, is what you define Ray, Ray Winstone by? All right. I, I, well, it is one of his earliest works. Yeah, I've only seen Ray Winstone in a few no days. Beowulf. <laughs> I've seen Beowulf, <laughs> and I remember nothing about it. Yeah, take that, Pete Townsend. You wrote Quadrophenia. It's no Beowulf. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Neil Gaiman uh, co-wrote or co-wrote that script? Yeah, with Roger Avery. Yeah, there you go. And it's directed yeah. by... Uh, my fucking movie. Zemeckis, man. Yeah. Bob Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Back to the Future fame. You've got Ray Stevenson as the Punisher. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. Wayne Knight, uh, Newman... As Microchip. As Microchip. You have Julie Benz. Uh, who as... also played Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park. Yep. Thank you very much. Yep. And, and Officer in... Don Orville. Thank you. From Third Rock from the Sun. Yep. Uh, which he has a, also starred a lustrous career. Uh, it also starred John Lithgow, who was also in Dexter with Julie Benz, who was also in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think Ray, Ray Stevenson was also in like the later season. He that was with, very uh, well yeah. of Dexter. I stopped yes. watching Dexter before I he was on he there, was. but apparently yeah. he was on it as well. So we've listed all of the uh, let's important see, can we come actors. Up with some more? Well, we were listing all of the important well, no, we've actors. We've listed two, three what, actors. But what I was going to say is we've listed all of the ones that have semi-reasonable voices or accents, and now we have to move on to the ones who have terrible forced <laughs> accents. I don't, I don't know. If, were you including Julie Betts in that list? Because I don't think Julie Betts has a reasonable accent in this movie. No? Uh, I, it I probably mean, wasn't great, but I didn't find it nearly as distracting as some of the other accents in this film. Oh my god. You, you didn't think that Dominic West was finally using his own voice for a movie? You didn't think he was doing some kind of strange, like, Jersey Shore mashup with McNulty? D- D- Dominic West, best known for his role as, uh, Jarrus Janik, or Janice Jarek, or whatever the hell his name was in Star Wars Episode One. Um, I completely he can, forgot he can that he fuck, was in that. Or the, or the bat, or... Or like the evil senator in 300. Yep. He can do an American accent, but chose not to do a good one. Doug Hutchison, uh, as Looney Ben Jim, also doing an even worse accent. But the worst accent I would it's opine is... Nice. The worst accent I would opine belongs to Colin Salmon. Or Salmon, however we pronounce his name. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. Who is a good uh, actor I... who have enjoyed him things, but... He, there are times in this film where he tries to be a tough guy American, and it does not project. No. No. And there's definitely times where it was like that. It's really an Englishman. I I feel like his his accent's definitely sort of on that list. I do not consider it the worst. I definitely think that Doug Hutchinson's accent is so much weirder and so much more off-putting and so much more distracting. All of the time. 
every single thing that he says. I'm like, why are you doing it this way? Who told you to do it this way? Lexi Alexander, explain yourself. I think it would be good to know if this film was shot in sequence or shot out of sequence because it would make it easier to pinpoint when each actor gave up and just started <laughs> going off the rails. I mean, it almost certainly was filmed out of sequence just because almost all movies are filmed out of sequence. So yeah, I know if I- it were filmed in sequence, we would probably know. Yeah, probably That would have been a previous yeah. one. Filming in sequence is such an odd thing to do and waste money. In a I way, this movie does not have money to waste. No. If you're doing um, a film of a play, it makes absolute sense to film it in sequence. Oh yeah, certainly. But I mean, a movie like a movie like this, you know, you're going to film all of the scenes in uh, in the Punisher's weird subway there all at once, and then you're going to film everything somewhere else. Yeah, based on location. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, money because this film had a 35 million dollar budget and uh, only made eight. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's the lowest grossing Marvel film, apparently. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Good yep. work. Yep. Well done. It's one of I the imagine. movies released under the Marvel Knights imprint. What was the other? Uh, uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Ah, we have not All seen right, it. we have one yes. to look forward to. Uh, I have to imagine of all of the various Marvel properties, Punisher has to have probably one of the, the least sort of international draw. So it's not surprising that its international take was something like $2 million. Yeah, well, I mean, it I, was I, also produced by Lionsgate, so it's not even really a, like, it's not an MCU movie. No. no. I did air quotes with that, uh, for those of you who are not the two other people. Actually, no one can see me right now. No one can see you right now, so yeah, even, yeah. Us, even we need to know that. Yeah. Uh, the reason that no one can that. see Hello. Dooge is his camera's not working. It's not like we're blindfolded or anything like also, we film this in separate locations. That is why there are often long, awkward pauses, because we have to wait for technology to tra- carry our voices. Damn you, technology! Bless you, technology. You allow me to... I've forgotten the voice that I was doing earlier. Not, for not, not the voice of Crowman. Crowman! was a little closer. Okay. Thank Bless you, technology, for allowing me to hide my strangely electronic crow body inside of your wires. Alright then. Yeah. <laughs> we, we really gotta stop doing Well, that was another odd pause where yeah. no one said anything. More like an odd clause. I'm a crow and have tal- talents that are much like claws. Not like paws. All right, then. So, uh, hey, guys. Uh, On that note, oh, I just said yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy, tummy, tummy. Yes, yes. Uh, weren't we talking about a Marvel film a moment we ago? Were talking, uh, yeah, we were talking about Punisher Warzone. Oh, yes, of course. Punisher Warzone, the much-beloved uh, sequel to Punisher. Actually, exactly. before I saw this movie, well, even now, uh, everyone I had talked to about this film said that it was really good. And Matt, I think there were ele- elements of it that were uh, very enjoyable. Mostly the absurd level of comic book violence. It, this oh, is an incredibly extremely violent, violent yeah. film. Um, yeah, it, it's, pe- yeah. People don't get. It shot did a good job. Get blown apart. Yeah, uh, it did a good job. In the most cartoony way possible. Frames from comic books mm-hmm. or frames that looked like a comic book panel and putting them on screen, uh, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of dialogue that I felt was the level of dialogue you would accept from a comic book, yeah. and not a lot of dialogue that you would generally accept from a film. 
Yeah, there is some <laughs> terrible fucking dialogue in this movie. You Krispy Kreme uh, motherfuckers! <laughs> you have the right to shut the fuck up. <laughs> what was that? What was it when uh? What was his name? The the actor who looks like uh Michael Rappaport, Dash Mihawk, Mihawk, uh, <laughs> says to uh, Colin Salmon. That, uh, oh, you're not as dumb as you, oh, I take that back, or I didn't say that, or whatever it was that he ends that line with. Yeah. In the way that no one would say ever. Yes, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, yes, probably would make uh, perfect sense in, like, a cartoon bubble. Yeah. Uh, what, one of my favorite lines very early on there. is, a biological package, I fucking knew it! <laughs> <laughs> Again, Damn. in a way that no one has ever uttered that thing of words before. Yeah. <laughs> a biological. So, do we want to actually talk about the? Plot? Yeah, I, I guess from a, a plot perspective, uh, I'll, I'll give a quick rundown. Uh, so, it's a Punisher film, so this will be short on plot. Um, mm-hmm. Very no, interesting. In, yeah, yeah, an indeterminate plot. amount of time after the last film, slash potentially in another universe from the last film. I believe they said four years. Four score. Yeah. Four or five years. I, I think I thought it was supposed to be five years, but that was mostly from what I'd read Some about number of years. when the film was supposed to be set. So we're in New York, uh, which looks a lot like French Canada. Uh, we are in New York. Uh, Frank Castle is the Punisher. He is running amok in the New York crime scene, killing them gangsters. He, uh, during a party Literally. for a mob boss... Uh, he decides to break into a mansion and kill probably a dozen, two dozen mobsters. Uh, one like of all the three of them. Yeah, the three that are relevant to the plot get away. One of which is Dominic West uh, of the Wire, playing Billy the Butte Rosati, uh, named so because he loves seeing himself in the mirror, and because let's face it, he's Dominic West. He's a handsome man. I'm going to be honest. When you said the Butte, I was thinking of the, the geographic formation. Yep. <laughs> uh, but do go on. Yeah. Uh, Jigsaw. Billy the, Billy the Butte, Montana. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Punisher trails Billy and his cronies to a nearby recycling plant. Ooh, the villains hide in a recycling plant. And after a, confronta- yeah, after a confrontation... Uh, throws Billy into a, what is it, glass-crushing machine, bottle smasher? Yeah. Throws Billy into that and messes him up real bad. Completely destroys his face. He also shoots an FBI agent by mistake when the agent was undercover. So that, that doesn't work out well for him. Uh, Billy is well, not... It works out pretty well in the long run. Uh, I guess. I mean... Uh, no, I'm still saying it, I mean, comparatively. Yeah, it works out better for him than that FBI agent he shot. It works out FBI well for the plot. Yeah, it yes. doesn't work out well for the As FBI the agent's wife and child. Of the plot, it works yeah. out well. His wife, played by Darla from Buffy played and Played by Darla. I think she also played a woman named Julie Benz, who uh, was in uh, Dexter. Yeah. Uh, she was that woman Jack Nicholson and she was, was rude, as, well. as good as you get. Um, yeah, so, oh, wasn't she also in, uh, the last Rambo movie? Yes, Rambo. Yes, she yes, was. She was in that. She's all over Rambo. the place. Yeah, Which, not as all over the place as, uh, Rambo's last name. as Colin Salmon. And, uh, Rambo Dash is Dash. his last name, Nick. 
name is John oh. Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to come up with like the Rocky Balboa version. That. I was like, they specifically did not name it John Rambo because he did not want to imply that it was the final film the way he had with Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, for some reason, I was assuming his first name was Rambo, which is a dumb thing to assume. Yeah. His name is actually Bo. Bo Rambo. Yeah, his name <laughs> is Rambo, Rambo Balboa. Bobby Bowie Rambo. Bobby Bowie. Billy is thrown into this machine. He's horribly disfigured. Uh, he has his Jack Nicholson turning into the Joker scene from Burton's Batman. Yeah. Where his bandages get taken off, and he sees his horribly I mean, scarred face. Which, in a very, in a very direct way. I mean, we are not. Yeah, this is pretty much exactly that scene. Yeah, except I don't think. Wait, does Jack Nicholson actually smash the mirror? He smashes I don't think the he mirror. He smashes the mirror in this. He does. Smash Did he smash the mirror. the mirror in this? Not in this. Okay. No. Um, I mean, it's not it, shot for shot, but was, I mean, it's the exact same kind of setup. Because we probably don't have a. I, mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't have a lot to say about this film, so I'm going to drag this out. Yeah, go for but it. But I'm going to parse it. I'm going to argue with a part of one of you guys who was just talking uh, and said he was horribly disfigured. I would say he was not that horribly disfigured because it was entirely superficial. He is fine within a matter of, I assume, days, maybe weeks, entirely healed up except for some I, stitch marks. Yeah, I mean, it, I would say I would say days. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. He, he looks. Like he does but not he's look the good. Beard. Yeah, he does not look good yeah. by well, any means. Fair enough. But maybe he, it's a difference between yeah. disfigured I mean, and maimed or you, whatever. You, you get into like, get in, yeah, get into a good plastic surgeon, work a little bit, handle mm-hmm. the scars. It's not like, like it's not like he's the most hideous thing you've ever seen. And the movie does him no favors yeah. by shooting him very flatly and in like perfect light for the remainder of the film. Yes, and it should be said. Given the explanation that the plastic surgeon of how much damage it was, it is, like, he describes it as though, like, all of the musculature and bone structure of his face was broken. Well, Uh, it should be. He was ground up in a vat of broken glass. But apparently he can, like, he can talk fine. It's not like he's, like, like, his face isn't actually broken in the way that it's described as being. Yeah. It's just super cut up in that kind of leather yeah. face kind of way. He looks like a. He didn't have to reset his nose with a pencil. Yeah, he looks like a Frankenstein monster from like a later Hammer horror film. I believe it's pronounced Hammer horror. Hammer. Horror. No, isn't it pronounced Hammer? Isn't that actually how you pronounce? There's two M's. Yeah, but it's pronounced Hammer. I thought. I've always heard Hammer. No. Oh, in graphic, in uh, gothic and horror, we pr- we learned that it was pronounced Hamer. But that's how you pronounce the what? name of the person whose studio it was. Mm-hmm. Regardless, that is irrelevant. Let's move on. <laughs> what do you? T- we got to pad this out. Uh, so any- yeah. anyway, we've got uh, we have Jigsaw now, which Billy decides to call himself after seeing a video of a Jigsaw puzzle. Um, because don't you know, call me B- Billy's dead. Call me Jigsaw. Um, well, it's same... probably not the worst like villain or hero origin name, you know, origin of their name that we've heard. Uh, and probably not the worst we will hear either. Mm-hmm. Um, so Billy is now, he's not really a supervillain. He's just kind of an uglier version of himself. Uh, but he goes to, uh, to the asylum where his brother, Looney Ben Jim, is being held, played by Doug Hutchison. 
uh, Jim is crazy and a cannibal and has a worse accent than his brother. Uh, they break Jim out of jail, and so now they got their crazy gang together. Doug, Doug Hutchinson, who you may remember from The Green Mile, Lost, or uh, Batman and Robin, Con Air, and as Eugene Victor Toomes from The X-Files. Mm-hmm. Also, pro- I'm going to be perfectly honest, probably most people know him as the uh, husband of Courtney De- Snowden. Stott. Noted. Yeah, as the actor, the who, married, as the actor who married the was she fifteen, sixteen year old woman that your mother probably oh, read about. She was seventeen at that point. That, really? Yeah. That's weird. Uh, why is that weird? Because <laughs> that because that was like major yeah your entertainment news a few years ago. Your Doug Hutchinson yeah. news I'm, man. Come on. I'm sorry that my uh my my Doug Hutchinson Google news alert RSS feed uh, went out with uh was it Google Reader? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I still miss Google Reader. Also, I don't I think that this is particularly esoteric knowledge. I'm no, it's not. I just you know I I just learned about it, but I also do not follow that much. You know, entertainment news. There are periods where I do not have internet access. Regardless, moving so, on. So moving Frank, on. Yeah. Frank he married feels, a child. Yeah, Frank feels bad about killing this FBI agent. Uh, the FBI agent's partner, uh, Paul Budinsky, Budiansky, something like that. Uh, played something by, like that. Played by a British gentleman, Colin Salmon. Uh, is has decided he's going to hunt down the Punisher to get, get back at him. He is very tall. Yeah. yeah. Um, Frank decides he's going to try to make amends with the wife and daughter of the man he accidentally killed, uh, and then decides he's going to protect them from Jigsaw, who is out for revenge against them for stealing money from him, after, uh, Frank's armorer, Microchip, played by, uh, Dennis Neardry, recommends that he do that. So then there's, like, this middle period of the film where a bunch of violence happens, um, there's not much else to describe that. Honestly. There aren't a lot of scenes um, where a, a lot of violence isn't yeah. happening. A man is dropped onto a spike, and then oh, the yeah. Punisher jumps onto his head to break his neck. You, yeah, we deal with, you, uh, you skipped over, before that, a man flipping between buildings while doing stupid, stupid parkour is blown up with a bazooka. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. so That's passed, the highlight of this movie. So passes the urban free-flow gang. Uh, yeah, so Billy and his crazy brother try to kill Julie Benz and her daughter. Uh, they get arrested when the Punisher stops them, uh, because the plot demands it. They are the two criminals at a given point in time that the Punisher does not kill horribly. Uh, they are arrested, but they bargain their way out of it with the FBI by revealing a plot to uh, smuggle in a biological weapon by some terrorists up in Queens. A biological package. Biological package. Uh, so they get immunity. They I get got a biological package for you. They get immunity. I got a biological package for you. This is like, this is, are you workshopping this? Like, are you what are you talking about? Oh, oh, okay. Never mind. I thought this was like you getting ready for your second city audition. No, right now I'm getting ready to mute my microphone because I'm eating a sandwich. And I don't want to bother you guys. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, so you the, eat that sandwich. Yeah, the Crazy Brothers uh, get immunity. The FBI pays them $12 million and gives them information about the Punisher's buddy, Micro, which, like, even for a plea deal seems extremely generous. 
Um, yeah. And it was a suspiciously good deal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe scenes got cut. Maybe this was, it was all in on it the whole time. Anyway, so they go. They kidnap uh, Wayne Knight. They kidnap Julie Benz and her daughter again. Uh, they end up killing Wayne Knight's buddy, Carlos, uh, who the Punisher had started to form a bond with, and the Punisher euthanizes him. And then uh, Dominic uh, West... Who's that woman that Wayne Knight is helping to take care of? Is that his, his grandmother his, or his, his mother? His, his mother. mother, yeah. Yeah, the woman Who's, who... face is half blown off. Yeah, her head and shoulder are entirely gone the last time we see her. Yep. As we said, it's a very violent movie. Yeah. And then Dominic West puts on an absolutely ridiculous shirt. Um, oh my god, that fucking shirt. I have so... Ha- like, half of my notes from the last, like, 20 minutes of that movie is just, what the fuck is happening with this shirt? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I assumed that it was... Well, at first I assumed that it was part of his comic outfit. This, like, jacket with, what do you call those, epaulets? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the shoulders? It's a what? Uh, it's like snakeskin, it looks like, or it has snakeskin jacket. On. Yeah. I didn't notice anything like that. Oh, but, yeah, it's got like a snakeskin thing. I thought that when we looked it up online and could not find any imagery of the character wearing that outside of this film, I thought that uh, maybe it was so that they could do that. Was it a specifically a patent reference where they're standing in front of the various gangs yeah. uh, in, in front, front of, of that giant American, American flag? flag? Yeah. Yes, which for some reason is all in all of these different clubs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess he brought a portable screen and projector with him so that they could inspire him using the iconography of the American nation. Yep. That seems that seems about right for the logic of this movie. Yeah. I have to say, whoever listens to this, if they if they are if they are listening to this without having seen the movie, I don't think we ever do a good job of getting a coherent plot summary. No. I don't think the movie does a very good job of doing that. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. I yeah. thought you were going to mute your microphone. I did, uh, although I think I managed to unmute it while I was eating. Uh, uh-huh. but then you ate that sandwich very quick. Uh, I was just taking a bite. Anyway, anyway. anyway. food minute yeah. to... So, the, uh, anyway, Jigsaw recruits uh, the three ethnic gangs from the city. There's the Chinese gang, there's the black gang, and there's the Irish gang. And gets them all in one yep. place where they start killing each other and then are all killed by the Punisher. Also, uh, very conveniently, well, no, they, they fire their guns other. only at each other. He is walking by outside and you can clearly see the flashes of the guns, but not one bullet comes through those very poorly boarded up windows. Nope. The Bradstreet Hotel is bulletproof. Also, when he makes that <laughs> jump across the alley from the, the fire escape... Why was that one sign in neon lit up? The regardless, uh, he makes the jump just holding a gun. He's not using his hands for anything. Uh, that was clearly a, lot a comic odd book shot. Uh, it's it's an image that works in a comic book, but on screen you're like, this looks ridiculous. You you would want your hands free when you make a jump. Yeah. yeah also no, his face. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of stupid things and happen. Also, the the way that it's shot because. You have a window, and you have the platform that he's on at that same level. And then he runs off that platform and jumps through a window below the window at his mm-hmm. level. So it looks like, the way it's shot, it looks like he just didn't jump very well and missed the top mm. window. And fell okay. through a lower window. It, it's a very odd... It's an odd... Yeah. It's an odd way to enter that building. Anyway, yeah. so, they're making like a death hotel to kill Punisher for reasons. Yeah. And you can imagine how well this works. But the out. Russians 
The Maybe Russians. the Jigsaw is a big fan of H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, one of America's first serial killers. Mm. Yes. Who had that terrifying yeah. death hotel. Uh, anyway. You've been, you've been listening to uh, to the Lore Podcast, or you read The Devil in the White City recently. Uh, I just am aware of him. Uh, I watched an episode of Supernatural about him. I do own The Devil in the White City, uh, but have not read it yet. That's okay. Anyway. So, uh, Punisher goes in to try to save these people. Uh, he fights Looney Ben Jim, and it doesn't really go anywhere. And then he's put in a situation where, oh no, Jigsaw has a gun on Microchip. But, oh no, Jim has a gun on Julie Benz and her daughter. And the Punisher has to decide if he's going to save this innocent mother and little girl, or if he's going to save Wayne Knight. Um, he ends up making the right That's decision. That's all I'm thinking about. Yeah. Spent so long on that choice. He ends up making the right decision. He shoots Jim, uh, Jigsaw, shoots Wayne Knight in the head and kills him. And then there is a brief, very one-sided fight that ends with the Punisher impaling Jigsaw and burning him alive in a fireplace. Uh, yeah, like also... there's this weird, they're in this bizarre like Turkish bathroom that uh, for some reason is in this hotel. Yeah, with a fire pit in the middle of the bathtub. Yeah, it's very it's a very strange place in the middle of this hotel this fight takes place. Did you guys also assume that that little girl will now have to go on to become the new microchip? Uh, she's going to have to do no. something because I think she... it's required by law, right? Because yeah. you know he died in it's place like, of her. Yeah, it's like the Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, she she's going yeah she's going to balloon up into a. It's Wayne like a Wookiee life death. <laughs> she turns into Wayne Knight. The curse is complete. It's like the Ghost Rider. She only transforms into him when her technological expertise is needed. The rest of the time, she is her normal, natural age and gender. Yeah, and then like... I think I think we could. Uh, I mean, Marvel has the rights to Punisher uh, again. I think we should yes. get uh, Kevin Feige on the uh, on the phone. I think we got an airtight uh, concept for uh, Punisher Four. Yeah, and, and I really like the idea of. Just like following, calling the next one Punisher Four. Punisher Four, yeah. Well, I like that. I like that, but I like the idea of following, like as a subplot in that film, following this girl whose name is Grace, like into college, and like she's with Mm -hmm. a roommate, and her roommate's like, "Ah, Grace, my computer's not working. Can you fix my computer?" And she's like, "No!" and turns into Wayne Knight. (laughs) My secret is revealed. Although. Despite the fact that his name is Microchip, it seems like in this movie mainly he's just a gun runner. Yeah. Like, I don't think at any point we really see him do anything technologically sophisticated. Oh, no, not, not He and Carlos just have some what? sort of scam involving buying back guns. What if uh, that woman that he's taking care of is actually a robot? Oh. And it's just part of the front. What if that facade? woman is just an old lady and they're running a social security scam? Oh, well, then... He deserves what he gets. Yeah. Like, there's a... Like, it takes him a solid... Uh, the Punisher, like, a solid minute and a half for this moral dilemma of, do you let them shoot the little girl and the and hit her mom or Wayne Knight? Like, he's really torn up about this decision. Yeah. In a way that is not justified by what we see of Wayne Knight in this movie. No, no. I he's... mean, he's still his only partner. Well, I guess there are other people who are referred to as his partner, but... It's a human life. He's trying to figure out a way a way out of it. Yeah, yeah no, I understand that. But, but we as an audience like, have been shown allow nothing me to but play devil's advocate. Wayne Knight has to offer you this perspective. Wayne Knight has a use to him. 
the other person is a child who cannot help him kill gangsters. That's true. That's true. Uh, two things. One, I mean, what, well, I think it gets most ridiculous when Wade Knight's character, Microchip, specifically has to say, she's a little girl, let me die. Don't you understand? And, so, and then going back, to the, going back to the partner thing, like, it seems like everyone in the world is helping the Punisher out. Like, at yeah. the very beginning, like, the guy on the Punisher task force. Yes. Like, his partner helps, uh, helps the Punisher cop. out. The low and rent then Michael later we learn that he has also been helping the Punisher out. In mm-hmm. which case, why was the partner, like, pretending about helping the Punisher? There's, like, clearly a vast network of people all pretending that they're not helping the Punisher, but helping the Punisher. Well, we talked about with the previous films, you know, the, the last one... Did not do necessarily a great job of showing the Punisher's evolving relationship with the police and why it's necessary for him to operate extra legally, but it, it kind of hints at it. And the first film, you know, shows you know very clearly him being hunted by the police and there being real dramatic tension there insofar as that film generates it. Uh, but this one, it's like he might as well be wearing a fucking badge. Like he he. He operates with impunity throughout the film. The closest he gets yeah, to getting he's... in trouble is Colin Salmon cuffing him and then after like five minutes coming around to being on his side. Yes. I'm still not convinced that his name is not pronounced Salmon. Well, I don't know why you've decided that. I think it was pronounced it both ways during the course of this. But yeah. I feel like Stephen has definitely fallen on Salmon. I've gone with Salmon. Which is spelled with two A's. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Colin Salmon, I don't know. He just feels like he's got a little more dignity than a, than a fish that I enjoy eating. Okay, uh, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, I think I think sort of the dynamic that we get uh, from the Punisher here is maybe a little too Batman-y. Like, there's definitely a little too much Oh, no, why would you think that? Why would you think there was any Batman illusion in this film? <laughs> there's also a very, very subtle sort of imagery around here. I don't know if you could have possibly picked up on it. But, <laughs> when he's uh, spinning around holding the two guns and looking like uh, he's on the he apparently went to the seminary we learned at some point, which I don't I don't think is a part of uh, Frank Castle's normal backstory, is it? Don't forget the final image of the film, which is the Punisher killing a criminal under a giant cross with the words Jesus saves on it. But then and then Jesus the Jesus goes out so at the says, same time that the Punisher disappears, oh, and only the word "saves" is lit up. And then there very, is a line about brain goo. It's it's very it's very subtle. Uh, and yes, there is a weird there's a couple weird scenes involving a very neon-y, like uh, church. It kind of feels like the church in Bosworth and Romeo and Juliet in that kind of way. Oh, that was something else that uh, was it. Was it uh, Colin Salmon who was in? Or, hold on, it might have been... Uh, I think Colin Salmon was in that. No, Dash Mihok, the guy who was in uh, Gotham and... Oh, is he... Pearl. Yeah, he's in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, is he... Who is he? Is he not Mercutio? No, or uh, Adolio? I don't remember. Hmm. Regardless. Uh, he was also in an episode of Pushing Daisies. Uh and the, th- the thin yeah, red line, yeah, and he was bang, bang. Uh, in pushing days. Yeah. I don't remember any one-armed... of this because he's an incredibly bland-looking man. <laughs> yeah, in pushing daisies, he was the one-armed criminal that falls in love with uh, the one-legged woman that uh, Jaime Mayes plays, or whatever the hell her name is. 
I hope that there are other people out there who remember him <laughs> specifically from pushing daisies and nothing else. None of the other things that I just mentioned. I remember, I remember that episode, and I have no memory of him in it. Like That's I, funny. he uh, is, he is such, a, he is so bland. I, to me, he looks like Kevin from the league. He kind of okay. looks like that guy. Uh, but. As soon as I saw him, I recognized him, and I knew it, I recognized him from an old sitcom, and I could not figure out which one it was. He looks so like I had to go on his IMDb page, and it is Pearl, starring Malcolm McDowell and Rhea Perlman. <laughs> he looks like the kind okay. of character that Ken Marino would play a parody of. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, because he and he and he has that kind of bumbling cop thing that you you that Ken Marino's version of the character would play. Because I had the exact opposite uh, experience of seeing him. I was like, I have never seen this man before in my life. And then looking him up and going, oh, this is a man with a very long career with many things that I have seen him in. He is just a void in my mind. He was I'm having trouble even picturing what he looks like having seen this movie less than 24 hours ago. He was Ben Volio. Can we, uh, can we he was Ben All right. just how many nerd favorite franchises uh, Colin Salmon has been in? He was in two James Bond films. Three, I thought. Uh, he's in... Some uh, number of James Bond yeah. films. He was in Tomorrow Never Dies and World Is Not Enough. And I don't know of any others. Oh, okay. Well, you can, you can Die Another Day doesn't exist. You can Die Another Day, uh, another day for yeah. very obvious reasons. I'm not familiar with that work. Uh, <laughs> the Dinotopia miniseries. Alien vs. Predator, yep. Doctor Who, yep. Resident Evil Retribution, yep. obviously he was an Arrow, yep. uh, Law yep. & Order UK, ah, The yes. Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, uh, and 24. And he was also okay. in uh, the number one lady detective agency in HBO series. I've heard very good things about it, I have not seen it. Uh, and yeah, no, I'm, I, I've seen a lot of those things, but I didn't necessarily, I mainly thought of him from Arrow. And it yeah. was definitely kind of yeah. weird because he's, you know, he's doing his normal accent or what I assume is his normal mm-hmm. accent in Arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's being you know, kind of proper in that kind of way. And then he's here doing a not entirely consistent American accent and trying to be super tough. And mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. It does not work. Oh, uh, speaking of things that other people were in, Mark Camacho, uh, the guy who looks like a fatter Paul Giamatti. Uh, <laughs> He played one of uh, one of Richard. Jigsaw's henchmen, but like the non cokehead one. Uh, yes, yeah, the one who was not in Buffy. Um, uh, he he played uh, Richard Nixon in X Men: Days of Future Past. Oh, oh. all right, good for him. So it's we will talk about him again uh, later on. Congratulations, Mark Camacho. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. There's nothing left to talk about in the plot summary. By the way, we can we can. Keep, we don't have to proceed uh, linearly at this point. Yeah. Well, there was something with the Russians that we kind of glossed over. Like, yeah, so uh, the Russian Billy in, had this thing going on with the Russians because Billy ran like gangs out of the port, so he controlled shipping, and he allowed the Russians for a payment to bring in this biological package, and then he ratted out you. the Russians for bringing in the biological package. Um, I so fucking knew it. So that he could get. Uh, get his plea deal, his $12 million, and his dossier on an innocent man. <laughs> Again, the FBI really fucking caves on this. I understand, like, <laughs> like this is this is post-9-11 enough that, yeah, caving the pressure to, like, stop a terrorist attack in New York City. Sure, okay. But still, they do a lot. And, like, the FBI agent, as he's, like, giving them, like, 
the death, uh, like, all the information to find Micro. He's like, I hope Frank Castle fucking kills you. Yeah. And, like, like, you could have done anything to stop this. Like, you could have easily, like, when the SWAT team comes in to arrest the Russians, you could have also arrested them. Yeah. You know, plea deals can't go back on. You can just lie to them and arrest them because they're involved in international terrorism and the Patriot Act totally allows you to arrest these people. What is wrong with you? You could also, I mean, as a dramatic device, this kind of plea deal can be used to make, you know, nuanced points about the nature of law enforcement versus terrorism, as it was in another thing starring Dominic West. Maybe it was the experience that he had getting screwed over in the wire on this that gave him the information he needed to really get a good deal this time around. Are you trying to argue that Jimmy McNulty turns into Billy Jigsaw? We don't know what happens to him. The wire ended in 2008. We don't know what happens to him after uh, after he drives that homeless man away. He could just kill him right there in the car and drive to New York. Yeah. That would be a very I mean, entirely he was like a reverse undercover mob guy the entire time. What a twist. Like... Yeah, it's like that because the mob at, does that, right? It's like that twist at the end of Dollhouse where you find out that Harry Lennox was the villain the whole time, despite it not being seated at all for the entire series. Uh, spoiler alert, I haven't seen Dollhouse yet. You're, you're not missing anything. I've heard there's like three or four good episodes. That's about right. Yeah, yeah. and Alan Tudyk's in it. Mm-hmm. It's easily yeah. Joss Whedon's weakest Amy show Acker. by a very wide margin. Yeah, I still haven't seen the second season. The best, I watched the first season. I heard the season, second season is when it gets Second good. season is better than the first. Yeah. It is mostly notable for starring people who have starred before or after in better Joss Whedon shows. Fair enough. Yeah. Or Joss Whedon movies, because yeah. what's his name? Fraz, whatever's in uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yep. And uh, much do about So, that. yeah. There's something to see. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, so, uh, all right. Yeah, so, things about this. Let's talk about Doug Hutchinson's accent because it's amazing and talk about, terrible. Talk about everyone's accent. Uh, what? I mean, what? What do you think the direction was? Now, let's let's again let's be generous to the director. Lexi Alexander is uh, she is German. English is not her first language. Perhaps she walked into yeah, the. Apparently she got very upset at Lionsgate because she wanted to be directing a regular Marvel film and she liked all of the notes that Marvel was giving them on the production. But because it was a Lionsgate film, she had to go with the notes that Lionsgate was giving her. Uh, So the Lionsgate was at least partially responsible for how... uh, How great this movie is? (laughs) I didn't hate the movie, but I find it utterly unremarkable. Uh, So perhaps bland is is the appropriate word, which is strange because there were so many moments where I was like, oh my god! Uh, Because I can see the level of violence that they, uh... It's very surprisingly violent. Yeah. I mean, not that surprising given the nature of the character, but surprising given... Well, certainly given given what we've seen of previous Punisher movies, I I was not for really anything that we've watched for this podcast so far. I was not prepared for Frank Castle to come in and punch a man in the face and his head to explode. Through his the way that happens in this movie. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to see the imprint of uh, Frank Castle's face 
in a man's crushed-in skull. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, that was surprising. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with the, the point that this is... I, I Again, I wouldn't say I hated this film. I, I couldn't muster up enough feeling to actually hate it. I thought it was very bland. Um for especially for a film with that level of violence, and when when we were watching it, um, Cynthia, my fiance, I know you guys know she's my fiance, but listeners might not. Um, yes. Come said, inside our yeah, personal off mic, Cynthia. As as we finished uh, as we finished the film, she said that film wanted to be so many things it didn't know what it wanted to be, and that's kind of how mm. I felt like it. Like it there it wanted to be an ultra-violent 80s action movie, and it wanted to be a Marvel Comics film, and it wanted to be the 1989 Batman movie, and it wanted to be a sequel to the previous Punisher film, and it ended up being none of those things. And was just kind of a... Yes. Blah. I think it also kind of wanted... Like, a lot of the time I felt like it kind of wanted to be, like, Frank Miller's take on Sin City. Because I feel like there's, like, a level of, like, cartooniness, particularly to <laughs> Doug Hutchinson and Jigsaw... <laughs> That this and, and to the violence, but like the rest of the movie is not quite at that level. Uh, but like I could easily like it, you know, see that like if you had ratcheted it up a little bit higher. And this is from what I have read, like the reason Tom Jane walked away from this movie is that he wasn't liking sort of how uh, how cartoony it was. But for the, for uh, the record, I am only aware. Of, I mean, Robert Rodriguez obviously had his. Uh, his input, but Frank Miller's take on Sin City is the only oh. take on Sin City. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, technically speaking, he did co-direct that movie. That's what I'm saying. Robert Rodriguez uh, had some input. Yeah, Robert, Robert, Robert Rodriguez' input, input is a version of Sin City that is clearly Frank Miller's Sin City. Yeah. Yes, excuse me. That is what I meant. Unless, Robert unless you're referring to Sin, Sin City as uh, comp- competing with the actual city of Sin, Las Vegas. Or, you know, uh, when it's commonly referred to as the city of sin. I'm sure there have been many more sinful cities in the history of sin. Yeah, like Sodom yeah. and Gomorrah and Independence, Missouri. And Cincinnati. Yeah, the original sin oh, city. Oh, what you did there. Skyline yeah. That's a city. <laughs> um, but yes, anyway, I felt like, I, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of sort of, it's trying to do a lot of things, and... Like, I feel like, particularly on the violence thing, of like, I think that last kind of action set piece of, like, uh, raiding that hotel, I think that's fairly entertaining, and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, I wish I wish things were better. But that's there true. were parts of this movie I liked. On the scale, like, compared to the other two Punisher films that we've watched, where does this fall for you? Uh... You know, I've been weirdly, I've been weirdly liking the Punisher movies. I'm gonna be perfectly honest, like in a way that I did not expect, given how dumb a character he is. Um, you know, I think, I think this movie probably it comes the closest to being the kind of dumb action movie that a character like the uh, Punisher makes the most sense in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I don't think it quite embraces. Like, I feel like if everybody was do- being as insane as Dominic West and Doug Hutchinson uh, were in this movie, we could have a camp classic on our hands. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Colin Salmon and Julie Benz and the man who should have been Ray Winstone 
um, are not quite ratcheting it up quite high enough. Um, I, lo- I love that movie with uh, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say probably I like the Tom Jane Punisher more than this, and I like this more than the Belfront Jane Punisher. It's probably where I would put it. But again, all of the Punisher movies have been, you know, I had went in with very low expectations, and these all, like, solidly went like, all right, these are pretty decent. I will say this. I am equally likely to watch any of the three again. So they're probably yeah. all the same level for me. Yeah, I think they're very I feel like it's kind of nickel and diming to rank them, but I feel like I feel like they're fairly comparable, but again, at least I would say kind of in the middle of the pack uh for these movies in a way that I did not expect them to be. Yeah, I think they're they're all they're at about the same level in terms of objective quality, but they have they are at that level in very different ways. Like, I think that this rides kind of the the action side and the sort of visceralness of it with, with the dumb ultra-violence in a way that the others don't. I think the, the Tom Jane version is probably the most interesting, just in terms of what it's trying to do with the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, It's certainly the one that I think does the best with sort of the pathos of the character. Yeah. Like... We don't really give a shit about uh, Frank Castle and like his family and his tragic backstory in this movie. No. It's kind of window dressing for a little presentation given to Colin Sam. Yeah, yeah um, but I feel like that's probably going to be true of any movie that summarizes a character's origin story. And I know how you feel about origin stories, but going through that process is a lot uh, different yeah. than uh, you know generalizing that process through flashback. Yeah, no, that's true. But then compare to uh, to the Dolph Lundgren version, though. I mean, which also touches the origin story in flashback. I think that's the one that's the most structurally sound and has like the best framework to work within as a film. I mean, as I from a charisma vacuum at its center. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's I, a lot recall... of structural problems with that film, or at least like introductory problems where they jumped settings and you didn't understand why they were in particular places. Uh, given that I remember very little about that specific Yeah. Film. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously that was, what, the third or fourth movie we did for this uh, podcast? the second. I'm not second. sure about that. Maybe it's it was the second. second. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, but as as I recall from our, our I think, uh, were we the only three people in that movie? No, Derek, Derek, Derek was, was, there was, there. was Derek also there? Because he had just uh, heard the director speak. Oh, and right. Yes, yeah. yes, he just had that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, as, as I recall, I think our consensus kind of was like, if you had had anyone who wasn't Dolph Lundgren as the star of this movie, it would be, you know, a pretty solid B, uh, B action movie. From yeah, Stallone could have done great with uh, that. Uh, <laughs> I'd watch it. Uh, damn, damn. Yeah. I would definitely watch it. Or Ray Winstone. <laughs> yeah. I really just want Ray Winstone. Um, Ray Stevenson is also in a movie called uh, Kill the Irishman, which I own and have not watched yet, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. It's supposed to be very good. Okay. Uh, it's based on a true story about well, it. He kills a lot of Irishmen in this movie. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think at some point we started talking about the, the accents and then got very sidetracked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that was a major part of the conversation we needed to have. I really think we need to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and certainly one of the things that I was thinking about uh, during this movie, is, with the exception of, like, Frank Castle, most of the characters in this movie are Italian-American. 
I mean, certainly, certainly Doug Hutchinson and Dominic West character, and um, at the very least, uh, Julie Benz's husband seems to be Italian-American yeah. based on his name. Uh, and none of those actors are Italian-American. Oh, no. And none of them are doing Italian-American accents very well. Again, Julie Benz does a passable one, but it still sounds ridiculous. Um, but uh, Dominic West is kind of doing something that is weirdly vacillating between McNulty and, like, a very bad parody of a character from Goodfellas. And it gets and worse I don't know he gets what... caught up. It does, it does. I remember in the first scene going like, well, he's just fucking doing McNulty. Because uh, it seemed like in that first scene with him talking, like, he starts out at sort of, I'm a New York guy. Uh, <laughs> I can't do this accent either, but I'm not a professional accent. Uh, <laughs> a professional accent guy. Professional <laughs> accenter. Yes. Uh, and, like, as, the scene, as that first sort of introductory scene goes on, he just kind of gives up on, uh, on the accent. He's just kind of doing McNulty. Uh, but he definitely gets to a weird hammy place once he's all fed up in Jigsaw. And Doug Hutchinson knows nothing but uh, but hamming it up. And in the weirdest fucking ways, uh, I think the most distinctive one, there's a lot of very distinctive lines, particularly as he's going to eat that man's uh, liver. I'm going to get my applesauce apple back. back. But then, like, when they're terrorizing Julie Benz's family... And like the patrol cops come come up, he opens the door and he goes, "Evening, officers." That's that that's like the one word of 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 like how he does that accent. That's the one word that I've kind of mastered. That's how he says it, officers. Uh, and that's how he's doing everything, and it's insane. And I don't know who told Doug Hutchinson that's how he's supposed to talk, but he does it. It's weird. He's a weird man. So, Doug Hutchinson, weird. In case you didn't know from the fact he married a 17-year-old uh, and generally plays weirdos in everything, uh, he's weird in this movie. You think that his character, Eugene Victim, Victor Toombs, who uh, subsisted on the livers of other living beings, uh, was strange? You find that to be a strange uh, yeah, and then, is it? It's in the second episode the, with him that he ends up in the... Uh, Shopping mall? The escalator, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, which... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, I've always been nervous around escalators. Escalators are very dangerous. People get their toes cut off all the time. Oh, I've seen them all that. I'm familiar with Please the don't take oh, escalators. Yeah. You should take elevators. They're very safe. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, probably probably that thing with uh, Eugene Victor Tombs probably at least somewhat contributes to my uh, unease about escalators. Because mm. there might be some sort of mutant liver-eating guy uh, living under one. And you don't know. That's possible. And but also, they're, they're moving there. stairs made out of knives. You shouldn't ride an escalator. That's just common sense. I feel very strongly uh, I'm going to disagree with that, but uh, I'll let it stand. I have, I have yet to see an escalator made entirely out of knives. Um, but living... it's, fucking, it's short pieces of moving metal. Yeah. It's no. just semantics, man. When, when I, I mean, go up the escalator, like getting dangerous. off the Muni or the Bart here, I do kind of expect that there's a liver-eating madman under. This is San Francisco. Exactly. Does that have anything to do with the escalator or just your general feelings about the area where you live? A little bit of column A, a little like I I, I might feel well, that they, about escalators elsewhere, but I certainly feel it about escalators in San Francisco. Okay. I feel like it's more likely that a strange, uh, frightening body part eating person is living under an elevator 
but that's just because I imagine there being a permanent space under an elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, about, all, it... about all I know about elevators is that if you're on top of it and it goes up really fast, there's some spikes that'll kill you if you're really yep. the in the first Mission Impossible yes. movie. Yeah. I don't know what those spikes would possibly be for, but they killed the fuck out of Amelia Weston. Problem... Well, they flipped down because they yeah. were put there specifically to do that because they know that he's going to be on top of the elevator. See, the problem... Because it was an inside job. The problem I know, in, in I got the like, impression that those spikes had served some kind of elevator function. Mm-hmm. No, they had set no, up a not, they're part of the death trap. They're but part I mean, of the rigging. I mean, I yes, I remember the plot of Mission Impossible. I know that there's de- uh, it's all you know an inside job, but you know you can just crush them with the elevator. The spikes seem like no. A, uh, the spikes only place. exist because you can't crush someone with an elevator because there is a pulley system above it and a, a gap. So he wouldn't be crushed. The spikes are there to do the job that the space will not. I'm going to agree to disagree. I think you're reading the end of the movie. I, I don't think at any point in that movie anyone says somebody set up those spikes to kill Emilio Estevez. You don't have do, to say it because it's clear from watching the we film. Do, we do see you. we do see the villain of the film uh, avoiding spoilers for this twenty year old masterpiece. We do see the villain uh, <laughs> flick a switch that dis, that engages the spikes, so he at least has some control over them. Yeah, I still think it's supposed to be part of the elevator mechanism. You think that they natu- all elevators just have spikes that have I a death spikes. No, I don't think I think the person who wrote the Mission Impossible script thinks that, or thinks that the audience will think that. Because when that happens, we don't know it's an inside job for a solid hour and a half or so. Oh yeah, but because no one happens, has ever nobody, something nobody into a says, film based on the idea says, that they will understand the it later. Why were those spikes there? Clearly, it's inside job. That's supposed to seem like it's an accident at the time. No, it's not. No yes, one. It he's not concerned about it appearing to be an accident. He's concerned about the person being killed. Actually, he wants it to look yeah, like but, it is an inside job, but he wants to direct the attention for the inside job to Tom Cruise. This is absolutely yes. true. Yeah. Sure. Well, this has been I the Mission Impostcast. Um, <laughs> no, the only thing I was going to say, uh, you, you mentioned the idea of worrying about liver-eating people living under elevators rather than escalators. <laughs> and in San Francisco, yeah, someone that a while ago, yeah. in San Francisco, I do not believe that would happen because I don't believe a liver-eating madman could afford to live under San Francisco elevators. For that space, Ooh. Like you, you'd be paying... I'm guessing eighteen, nineteen hundred a month for that elevator nook. All right. No. Yep. I mean, you know, there must be some escalators out there uh, where squatters uh, have have access to them, and the the landlord doesn't come around you know, every month to check. He just puts that ad up in. Uh, yeah, you don't times. think you don't think those already are squatted upon? Yeah. Or in or with. Whatever the uh, whatever the uh, that up, goes with squatted upon sounds a little too up. fancy for uh, the act of squatting. Squatted upon. <laughs> I will squat upon this elevator. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Okay. So uh, completely disconnected from this, but not really. Uh, looking through Ray Winstone's filmography, <laughs> um, there is a. Like, on Wikipedia, you've got the list of, you know, 2006, The Departed. He plays Arnold. 
Breaking and Entering. He plays Bruno Fella, and so on and so forth. Beowulf. He plays Beowulf. But then next to it on Wikipedia, there's like an extra column that'll say, you know, this film, TV movie, uncredited, TV miniseries, cameo role, so on and so on. And if you look at his yeah. credit for Snow White and the Huntsman, where he plays Gort, that uh, miscellaneous, like, trivia column says, head only. Hmm. Gort is a noted head role. Yep. Having, uh, having not seen Snow White and the Huntsman. Or is that the one that's directed Fairly. by Torsten Singh? No. No, that is. Mirror. That's Mirror. Okay. Whatever Someone, it's called. Uh, that's the one, one of the guys who played in, Thor. One of the, the henchmen who played uh, an Italian role. Uh, was also in Immortals, directed by Tarsem Singh, which is obviously unrelated to the actual thing we were just talking about. But, uh, which was unrelated uh, to the subject of this podcast by yes. several degrees. Yes. yes. Uh, my, my, what I'm curious about is, was this a talking role? Was it like a talking head? Because this is not like a magical movie. Or did so, like did Ray Winstone have like some chick to be called in, and he ended up as a cameo as just a fucking head? Well, we need a head. Get me Ray Winstone. Get me Ray Winstone. He's the number one head man in Hollywood. I will have his head on a plate. Was was that the crow, or was that like? Uh... I'm, the producer. Might have been John the Baptist or Salome or uh, at, this point, at this point it sounds What's like the one of, uh, I don't understand. Sounded like one of Hiram McDaniel's heads from uh, Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah, a little bit. Can't remember. Okay. The gold head, maybe? Mr. Sandman. That was all of the heads from Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> this is an amazing dream say, sequence no, where no. the eight heads uh acapella the Obviously, acapella song, Mr. Sandman. Now, now do Jombie. Yes. <laughs> my, my first thought was, Jombie, bring the chocolate frosting! Uh, Eden is in Bob. Uh, Futurama, uh, little show called Futurama. I don't know if you, any of you have heard of it. Uh, Alright, well, we have we've gone extra off uh, off the range here for this one, I feel. And yet we're still half an hour have... short of the length of this film. Yeah, I, Should I, we I maybe don't... start, like, wrapping it up? Do we have... I don't Let's know all what... look through I... our notes and see if yeah. we have any important uh, things to I don't know what to else mention. to talk about. I mean, it's... Uh, I have a lot of notes here. Let me see. Uh, I really liked how Wait, when uh, McGinty, uh, the man with the Urban Free Flow gang, uh, gets both of his knees shot out... He appears to be suffering the mild discomfort of a man with a foot cramp while the Punisher is interrogating him. Um, All right, Maybe it was shot out of order, and uh, prior to this, in the previous version of the script, he did just have a foot cramp. Ah, Punisher, you, cr- you cramped my foot, man. <laughs> You're cramping my style. I really liked... Uh, cream, style. I really liked when... Uh, uh, Jigsaw and Jim were making their plea deal. A guy was there who was apparently their lawyer, I'm guessing, and he looked a lot like Tom Savini. I like that. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just looking through my notes. I took down a lot of notes of very bad lines or poor deliveries because there's a lot of this in this movie. Uh, in one of the few, in one of the few scenes with Micro, he's only in like three scenes, but the first scene where. Uh, Punisher is explaining that he's going to uh, tire. Uh, 
Micro describes the kind of people that uh, the Punisher goes after. He describes them as the guys who slip through the raindrops. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how that saying goes, right? Yeah. Uh, not uh, grass. I, I feel like if you slip through the raindrops, then, I mean, admittedly, you're a lucky person, but uh, it's that you avoid the the bad things that happen to all people evenly and not to, you know, the terrible people who get what they deserve. Uh, that makes Go more on. sense of it than the film does. In offices. Um, one of my notes here is what this movie really needed. Shakes, the yep. iambic pentameter spouting uh, homeless <laughs> man from uh, the Wonder movie, who I am still upset has not been integrated into uh, Marvel yeah. canon. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I will cancel my Netflix subscription if Frank Castle on Daredevil does not have an iambic pentameter spouting homeless man sidekick. I don't believe that's true. You heard me, Netflix. I don't care if you have all of Star Trek. I'll I don't it. believe that they heard you either. <laughs> you don't know that. owned by Google. Who did hear you? Uh, let's see. Uh, Frank Castle went to a seminary. Uh, here is the first of my many, many notes asking what the fuck is going on with Dominic West's, cat, uh, Dominic West's jacket in the last uh, 20 minutes of the movie. Which, again, is a fucking Eplout having... Like military dictatorship uh, shirt, which I'm almost certain apparently you didn't see this had like a white and gray snakeskin pattern to it. It, it was and it looks insane. insane. I just didn't, that was not obvious to me. It looks insane. Let's see. I will. Uh, I will agree with that. It was clearly some kind of like costuming decision for him to put this on. Maybe there was a deleted scene where he found this and thought this is the kind of thing that a jigsaw would wear. <laughs> Right. If his modus operandi after he became the killer would have been to leave incomplete jigsaw puzzles everywhere, <laughs> what if what if that became like part of his identity? That would be the way that Batman takes on the identity of a bat. He tries to take on the identity of a jigsaw puzzle. Well, I mean, we're already he's already stealing from uh, the Joker for his like plastic surgery. I'm sure the writers are stealing from the Joker, not him specifically. <laughs> we don't know whether he's seen that film. Uh... But, uh, but, like, yeah, he could also have, like, a Riddler kind of thing where he leaves, like, jigsaw clues. Uh, one of my notes here, I'm pretty jigsaw sure I remember clues? correctly. What are the clues on a jigsaw? Like, the no, colors like, at the border he, of the piece? He, like, the Riddler, the the Riddler, like, the Riddler leaves clues uh, around. I know how the Riddler, Riddler leaves, clues, leaves clues. That is not what I'm asking. <laughs> but, like, like, he, he leaves a jigsaw more, puzzle with, be, like, three like, pieces He, he writes out. a clue. He writes a clue on a piece of cardboard and he cuts it up into jigsaw pieces and he leaves them there. And the fucking Kevin from uh, the League-looking motherfucker, who apparently has been in everything but I've never seen before in my life, uh, and Colin Samet could spend time solving the jigsaw puzzle. That's what I'm saying. Okay. The way that the Riddler works. <laughs> all right, moving and, on. All right, another note here. I'm pretty sure that this is me trying to phonetically uh, write out Doug Hutchinson's delivery of a line. Uh, it's right when they have sort of the knockout dragout fight in uh, the bathroom in the hotel, and Doug Hutchinson like throws open the door and yells out. And I've written this, and I don't know if I phonetically captured his pronunciation, but I think I might have. Of it's time pronounced it's time. <laughs> It's time. I'm pretty sure that's how he pronounces it. At the very least, last night, how I thought. 
that's at least last night how I thought he pronounced it. And okay. I can't say for certain I'm wrong. <laughs> Neither can I. Uh, let's see. Let me put you out of your uh, out of my misery, which I have miswritten here as let me put you out of my mystery, which <laughs> would, would put a whole other which would put a whole new twist on that. That would be an amazing meta line to add to a uh, you know like an Agatha Christie's Christie story where the 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 detective trying to solve the mystery doesn't know whether someone did it or not, so they shoot them and throw them off the Orient Express. <laughs> You're causing too much trouble. Let me put you out of my uh, mystery. <laughs> and also, I feel like as sort of my last thing is looking through my notes, uh, even even as brutal and violent as uh, Frank Castle is in this movie, he does seem to go out of his way to torture uh, Billy slash Jigsaw in a way that's really off-putting in a lot of ways. Like, he just fucking throws that man to that uh, uh, glass grinder at the beginning, and then he immolates him. That's how he kills him. He throws him into a fire and, and has a slightly pithy one-liner about it, which doesn't make any sense. No, it does at all. It's not. It's not. It just says this is only the beginning, and then the man dies. What the beginning of what? The beginning of him torturing him. The beginning of him burning people to death for fun. Uh, the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the end of this film. What is happening? New hobby. What does he mean by that? Burning people. That line to death. makes no sense. I- I mean, there's. I think. I think there's a way that, like, if you rejiggered this movie in a lot of ways, Billy could easily be fairly sympathetic here. He's he's been the victim of brutal violence by uh, at the hands of some, you know, self-appointed vigilante. He's horribly disfigured. He he has this beautiful reunion with his brother. They bring a bunch of different uh, disaffected. Uh, or, um, urban minority groups together in order to stand up to their white oppressor. There's sort of a beautiful story arc going on for Billy and uh, James here that really could be played on if you wanted to make this sort of like a uh, movie of the week, lifetime movie. You sound instead. like his lawyer. I love it. Do, uh, do lifetime movies of the week often have uh, multiple gangs that are brought together to throw off their oppressors, start murdering each other? Yeah, don't you watch Lifetime movies? Yeah, Valerie Bertinelli does say that. that I have. I, I, no, yeah, Valerie like, Bertinelli does that in like half of the movies. Maybe like, it was Hallmark. You get the Lifetime like, movies. The Grumpy Cat film, Poised by Aubrey Plaza. Was that Hallmark or Lifetime? I think it's Hallmark. Okay, well then, no, I don't think I've seen a Lifetime movie. Although, I heard that is pretty good. No, so like Valerie Bertinelli gets away from her abusive husband, uh, and then she enlists the help of a entirely black gang, an entirely Irish gang, and an entirely. Uh, Italian, no, Chinese, Chinese gang, while standing in front of an American flag uh, thing, and they all get into a hotel together to murder that husband. That's the plot of like forty percent of lifetime movies. Yeah. I'm I'm going to choose to believe you because I do not know. Yeah, yeah, that's good. No, r- trust uh, trust the people who do know on this front. Um, so <laughs> okay. if, if, if you really wanted to, there yeah, are you. You could you could you could squeeze this into a lifetime film. You, you probably got to beef up Julie Benz's role a little bit, but I think you could do it. Yeah, I think yeah. There you go. Like oh ooh, they could hold her hostage, and then she could have like Stockholm syndrome and really start to ah, understand, yeah, it, see sort of where he's coming from, and turn against Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just remembering now a lifetime movie that I have seen where <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli uh, goes insane and holds a school hostage. <laughs> With a gun, she goes into a classroom and starts 
I think she might murder some kids. I can't remember. It comes very close to that, at the very least. And as I recall, it's based on a real story. But yeah, it's Natalie and Bertinelli with a gun holding like a, a first grade classroom hostage. Uh, it's called. My God. It's called Murder of Innocence. Do you actually found the movie? This yeah. is okay. I watched it on Hulu once uh, with my neighbor in uh, Atlanta. Newlywed Laurie Wade finds her marriage and eventually the rest of her life shattered by her deep-rooted psychotic behavior. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, she goes crazy. There you go. And yeah, she holds up. Thank you, thank you for finding that. Uh, what man, I, I, I had what to your do search it. terms were for that. Uh, Valerie Bertinelli school hostage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go, everyone. Murder of Innocence genre of uh, probably I would guess from the production quality, early '90s. But yep. given lifetime was, budget, maybe late '90s. It was uh, movie. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, she holds that school hostage. Yeah, it's so, kind of insane and amazing. So you sh- you shift it around. So you, you you make Julie Benz sympathize with Billy's tragic story. You rename the film to punish her, and then you're rolling. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, because this is this is the man who murdered her husband, yeah, and he also, you know, brutally disfigured this guy who's, you know, understandably a little crazy, uh, and because uh, you know he's been horribly disfigured, uh, and you know, there's some sympathy there. We could do, you could do something with uh, his henchman that with the coke problem, mm-hmm. and that could keep it sort of topical. Like Julie Benz could like help him get over his drug problem during yeah. the hostage negotiation. There you go. And, you know, the brutal cops who aren't, uh, who don't have jurisdiction here bust into the house and, you know, Colin Salmon's the bad guy because she just doesn't understand Billy. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I think it works. I think that's a much more interesting yeah. reading of this film than anything in this film. <laughs> All right. There we go. Yeah. I, I think, this has uh, been Nick Bester. Yeah. I th- I think Lies! I'm... I'm Nick Bester. <laughs> I, I am Nick Bester. I think as we... Uh, I we am wrap, the best door. We, he's the bester of them all. I think as we wrap the this up, there, there are a couple of lines... The best or, the best best or. There are a couple of lines that I had uh, had written down that I <laughs> that I really enjoyed. Uh, Krispy Kreme motherfuckers was one. Uh, Definitely appropriate since I went to a Krispy Kreme yesterday. Oh god, that's so good. Uh, the the <laughs> awful uh, I can't remember the country said it was something like in Greece kidneys and applesauce is a delicacy. Oh god, um, <laughs> was that? Um, there's the line which which I... is then followed by yummy 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 in my tummy tummy tummy. Before eating the man's liver. Yep. What does he say about the fat guy? Like, fatty is mine or something? Uh, something like that. It yeah. doesn't matter. I'm gonna get my applesauce back. Uh, there, there is the line where someone actually does say, That's McGinty and his urban free flow gang. Uh, there yep. is the line when Carlos. Carlos says that. Yeah, and then when Carlos is dying and he tells Frank, I'll see you in hell, which is a really odd thing to say to someone who, like, is your partner and your ally here. And then Frank's response 
in, uh, even lines, weirder. Yeah, lines that might be good in a comic book, but not in a film. Um, if I see mm-hmm. you anywhere near hell, I'll kick your ass out. <laughs> oh God. Yep. Um, there's the line when he's when Frank is sitting in a church talking to a priest, uh, where apparently we His old Frank buddy yeah. who we've never seen before. Or again, and we learn that Frank had apparently been in seminary school at one point. And he's sitting there in the pews of the church, muttering to himself, saying, Sometimes I'd like to get my hands on God. (laughs) And then the, uh, again, I think you hit on this, Bester, the this is only the beginning line at the end of the film when he's burning a man alive. Not yeah, really. what does that mean? Yeah. Like, I kind of like, uh, let me put you out of my misery. Yeah. Uh, it's not great, but it's like, okay, that's fine. And then you set the man on fire, and this is okay the beginning. In like, just A plus Ray Stevenson impression there. Um, it's weird. Yeah. And so, then I don't remember what bland guy who I, ref- who I cannot remember for some reason thing about the brain splatter, but that was also weird. Yeah. Very, very end. So this is this is not a good film. I'm not going to call it a. It's I mean, not a terrible film. Though, no, it's it's. Say. We've definitely watched far worse films than this. Um, but it is it is not a memorable or striking film in any way, and I don't think I'll be watching it again. I'm glad I rented it instead of buying it. Yeah, I bought it as a, a two pack at Walmart with uh, Dread, the recent Judge Dread film, which yeah, was much more enjoyable than this, as I recall. You get you get one yeah. good film. I feel like. I feel like uh, I could see myself watching this again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I feel like I feel like there's enough things here that I like like about what it's doing that I feel it falls into that kind of category of like movies I'd really like to see someone redo. Like there's some movies that like you know you want to see like like I feel like too too often we re- remake movies because they're great. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a very good reason to make yeah. a movie. No. What you should do is you should find, like, the, like, oh, there's a really good idea in the middle of this mediocre movie. Like, the Someone fly. should do that. Or, or, <laughs> or you know, uh, um, Dark the Star. Um, gentleman they, begging to be the, uh, the, uh, the original Star, uh, Carpenter's movie, mm-hmm. which, you know, the sort of the germ of the idea of aliens Alien. in that movie. And, yep. you know. O'Bannon, is it O'Bannon? Is the name of the guy? Yeah, with, uh, O'Bannon, yeah. Like, redoes that, re- redoes sort of this weird comic uh, beach ball alien thing and actually makes it a good uh, a good thing. So I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like this is the kind of thing where I would love, I would love to see, you know, I'm sure no one's going to give Lexi Alexander the money, but like, if someone gave Lexi Alexander the money and just like, you know, make the kind of movie that you wanted with just like generic vigilante, I would love to see that movie. Mm-hmm. Just kind of without the uh, the burden of being an adaptation of a, a comic film. Yeah, without being the burden of the adaptation, without having to deal with, you know, whatever kind of Lionsgate or Marvel edict she had to deal with. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like I feel like there's enough interesting things happening in this movie uh, that uh, I'd be willing to watch it again. If only to hear Doug Hutchinson's line delivery on just about everything. Alright, so well, it'll, uh, we won't get another glimpse of uh, Frank Castle, the Punisher, until he shows up on Daredevil in, uh, in season two. Yeah. So. Remember my warning, Netflix. Remember it! Uh, however, for our next film, we are going to return to an old friend, 
for for another go round. Uh, no, you're getting really hopeful. You're not going to be happy with this one. Uh, the next the next film we're going <laughs> to watch being is the operative word. The the next film we're going to watch is X Men Origins Wolverine. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you were thinking Ghost, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, weren't you? I don't know how long we have until that's for another not for another four years. Um, oh no! One, two, three, four, five. That's uh, right after Captain America: First Avenger. Really? Was it that? I thought it was more recent or less recent. Two thousand twelve. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then, damn, I've got a long way to go. Yeah. Fuck, I'm not looking forward to that. We have two X Men films before then, actually: Origins yeah. and First Class. Yeah, well, one of those I like. Yeah, there's one good film in there. Um, and... Well, to be fair, I've not seen X Men Origins Wolverine. You know, maybe maybe it will be a pleasant surprise. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, I'll totally love what they do with Deadpool. Maybe you possibly. won't hate it as much as you expect to, based on how much everyone else hates it. Maybe. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like that's honest. The the legacy of how bad a lot of these yeah. movies are has honestly worked in a lot of these movies' faces. Oh, definitely. The, like going into these, you know, even the ones that were really really terrible weren't as bad as I had imagined. Like the Fantastic Four movies. Like like I don't want to watch those again. But I remember going like, these aren't terrible. They're bad, but they're not terrible. In general, I feel that the, there are two kinds of movies that expectation cannot uh, interfere with. One's at the bottom end of the spectrum and the top end of the spectrum. Really great things, hype can't ruin it. And really awful things, hope can't ruin it, or can't help it. But uh, if something is good and you hear that it's the best thing ever, then you can be very disappointed. Uh, it, hype can ruin a good work, but it can't ruin a great work. Because if something is really great and timeless, then transcends all of the hype uh, or if it's really genuinely awful and irredeemably bad then no matter how much hope you have for it so, you're not gonna i, I would say look, looking at the list of the films we watched i i kind of give the early ones a pass especially because the only one of those early ones i really hated was the captain america film um <laughs> But of, like, the more recent ones, the only ones that I would consider myself, like, out-and-out angry at, like, I did not enjoy watching the films at all, would be Angley's Hulk Mm -hmm. and Rise of the Silver Surfer. Really? Even Elektra? Elektra I had kind of girded my loins for, and your ghost interpretation saved the film for me. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, I feel like... Like, I, had you seen Silver Surfer before? No, I hadn't. Okay. Because okay. I feel like, uh, certainly of any of the movies that uh, we have watched that I have not seen, which honestly up until this point has probably been most of them. Yeah. Because mm. obviously there was a lot of, like, particularly the first, you know, ten or so movies. I don't remember when we finally got to a movie that I had seen before. Probably uh, I feel like none of the movies that I was seeing for the first time I was necessarily angry about. I would say... Um, Angley's Hulk, particularly because uh, going back to sort of um, Juju's point about hope, I think like in the years since that movie, I had kind of sort of started to build up a bit of sort of like, well, it can't possibly be as bad. This as was I a mean. misunderstood yeah. film. It's, yeah, it's I'm like, maybe, maybe those people who have said that those things about this movie are right. Maybe it is, you know, an under uh, underappreciated, not quite masterpiece, but you know, it's doing some interesting things. Uh, and you know, Maybe I was kind of on board for that for the first like ten or fifteen minutes of that movie, and then eventually I was just like, "Oh, fuck this movie!" 
so hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it's frustrating because I, there are one or two elements of that film that I feel were really well done and contemporary films could benefit from, particularly the use of uh, the, the panel structure on screen. Because I think that one of the, one of the elements of uh, a really good work of art is that uh, in subsequent experiences, it gets better and better and you understand more and more of what's happening. And so any work of art, you shouldn't understand wholly the first time you watch it. And things like that, I think, actually can help because if you have four things happening on screen at one time, you can't watch all of them at once. And you're not going to be able to piece all of it together until, until you've seen it two or three times. Uh, and I don't think that maybe it was done as well as it could be in that film. And it certainly couldn't transcend a lot of the other problems with that film. But I, I uh, think it was an attempt I mean, to I... do something visually interesting. But in the context mm -hmm. of the film, the, the comic book panel metaphor works well mm -hmm. in a comic book because it is substituting for motion and action and doing it in a way yeah. that works well for that medium. But it does not work in a medium where motion and action are inherent in the medium. That's fair. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Scott I feel Palmer like might be the best example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but I mean, I think also, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say it could never work, but I think that sort of thing would be very difficult because you would need something that is still sort of something that you can watch a sequence done that way, and it's still mm -hmm. coherent to watch. Yeah. Uh, but to have the sort of ambiguity and what uh, sort of rewatch value that you're talking about, I think it'd be very hard to structure something that isn't going to, at least on first viewing, going to seem incoherent. Yeah, I feel like you'd have uh, to so have find like a problem between all of the, the relevant uh, simultaneous panels, and it would have to be not that you're developed, or, you know, that you're seeing what is happening in each panel individually on subsequent watches, but that you're seeing how they are related to each other and different interpretations of a single thing or different characters going through uh, a similar... Uh, yeah. Time or process or revelation. I mean, again, I think that could work. I don't think I don't think Angley's Hulk ever really uses it that way. It's more like no. you know, the Hulk is is the one the 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 shot that I really distinctly remember is like he's uh, hulking out in his lab and he's you know tosses some like uh, gas tank around and it bounces around the lab. But the mm -hmm. way that the split screen is, it like bounces around oh, and it's moving in like eight yeah. different directions. At yeah, it's crossing uh, the different planes of vision, uh, and it just and it just makes that entire shot uh, so much more visually confusing than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like a lot of the a lot of the time in that movie, uh, I get what Angley is trying to do, and you know maybe somebody like Edgar Wright in uh, Scott Pilgrim figured out how to do it, but I think Angley just makes it, uh, yeah. if not incoherent, at least less coherent than it could have been if he had gone through more. Um, yeah. The, the instance where I remember being used was just, like, multiple people, like, walking through different doors at the same time or something like that uh, yeah. to, to uh, save time on how you can see all these people are traveling to different places. And, yeah, it's, it's not... That's a, movie, that's a movie with really weird contiguity editing. Because there, there's also the other thing that I really remember is uh, Thunderbolt Ross and his daughter talking. And yeah. in the shot counter, uh, counter shot, they're both facing the same direction, mm. which is just not how... We've like, been trained there's, a hundred, there's like a hundred years of convention on editing that says that's not how that's done. Yeah. And, you know, you can break those rules, but there needs to be a reason for it, and there yeah. isn't. Yeah, and that's, that's, I guess that's sort of gesturing at what I'm trying to say, is that I feel like there is an element of that film that was not used effectively that 
it's a shame that it, it was used in that film because I feel like filmmakers are not going to use it again because it was so poorly used, yes. but it could be used very effectively if someone had something useful to do with it. Yeah, yes. I guess, I guess, I guess I would um, but with, this is we, not, this is not the real, this is not, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, we have spent probably a solid 90% of this podcast not talking about, uh, uh, Punisher Warzone. Yeah. And I realize what, we what is, like, is Punisher Warzone? I'm, I'm not familiar with his work. 